Welcome to episode 94 of the Muck Podcast, an affiliate of the Odd Pods Media Network. Listen in as we discuss the dark and sometimes weird true stories in American politics. I'm Tina Hadamia. And I'm Hillary Doherty. Hi. Oh, hello. Oh my God. <laughs> Hi. How are you? I'm good. Our sound was great last week. So, so good. I know I'm obs- I know I keep talking about it on here, but I'm obsessed with it and it looks good now. So I'm, I'm pretty oh. confident in it, but I'm, I was happy about it because that was a great episode. It was such a fun episode. It was really good. Really, I, really I loved funny. it. So, uh, yeah, we're back, baby. We are back. Mm. And, um, you sent out some stickers for, um, yeah. Our vintage stickers. So our I, vintage, you know, yes. old school, so we should OG have a, stickers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I have, uh, I ordered the new stickers. We should have them this week. And new thank you cards. Ooh. Yes. So everybody who's on our Patreon will get a new thank you and a yes. new, new stickers for everybody. Oh, so. I'm so excited. Me too. I, I, I mean... I love stickers. Yes, me too. Speaking of, I got, um, I got, I finally got that hat from, not finally, it didn't take too long, but from Anti Hate Adventure Boys, <gasps> and it sent. They sent new stickers, which are so <gasps> fucking cool. These stickers, Ooh. I love that they put stickers in there. That's like my favorite thing. Oh when, yeah, when you order something and they add, yes. like a little something yes. to it. And I came today, and you have stickers for me. You have you started working at my old high school. Yes, so you have my high school mascot sticker, which I love, and a Women Who Podcast magazine sticker. Ooh. Thank you. I love them. Women Who Podcast. Mm. Yeah, that magazine's out, so. Yeah, go check it out. Go check it out. I love it. I love getting little fr- fun things. Yes. Thank you. Um, I wanted to mention our brother in arms in podcasting, uh, Barefoot Lobo. Barefoot Lobo. Yeah. He has a podcast called Hell is Full of Dads, which you've heard us talk about so much yes. on here. And um, his partner in podcasting, Cody, has stepped aside, stepped down, and I will miss him very much. Yes. I will miss him very much. But, but Barefoot pivoted. Barefoot pivoted, and he's and continuing cool. to do it. And he put out his first episode solo, and he talked to this local dad named Coco, who's a gay single dad, and his story is fucking incredible. Oh. I mean, crying listening to this story. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And it made, I was, I said to, um, I sent barefoot a message saying, this is amazing. You did a great job, but also that, you know, I, it made me feel less, uh, sad about my, my life because yes. I'm like, if Coco can do it, I can do yes. it. Right. Like, yeah. Yes. Yes. He was, yes. It's a great, so please go check out hell is full of dads in that new episode. Yeah. And I know that, um, each of us are also going to be coming up. I think I'm recording with him next weekend. Ooh. Yes, I have to, yeah, I need to send him a note and work out a time. Yeah. So that'll be fun. Yes. I can't wait. Yeah. Um, Also, so today is my daughter's birthday. (gasps) Happy birthday. (laughs) Oh my God, this girl. So she's a teenager. She's, she's, she's officially 13. Oh, which I feel like she's been a teenager for a while because the attitude has been on height, honey. Yes. But, uh. Yeah, it's a good day. She's excited. I mean, you know, uh, I feel so blessed to have this girl as my daughter. I, it's, it's it's ridiculous. She's an amazing, amazing person. She is, and she wants to do everything and juggle everything at school and, like, her friends, and she's just an amazing kid. And I, it's it's difficult to celebrate. This is the third birthday that we've celebrated in our family since divorce news, mm. and uh, this has been the most difficult for me, I think, because... The birth yeah. of our daughter, kind of like, you know, we yeah. got married because I was pregnant, but I mean, also in love, right? Yeah. But because of this baby. Yeah. And um, so thinking back about memories, that's the hard yeah. part right now, I think, with the divorce is thinking about the good things and those moments, um, the happier times, yeah. especially because in present, it's so sad. Oh. You know what I mean? So it's hard to like get through those things, but it's just, and still like also be present to where I'm like excited for her and celebrating her, but this one's been the hardest, I think. But, um, yeah, it sucks. It sucks. I know. How how is she, how is she handling it? Was she okay with it? She is, I think both the kids are pretty wrecked to be honest. Mm. I think that they try to move, like, you know, I, I try my best to keep us moving like everything. They're still doing really well in school. Thank God. Knock yeah. on wood. 
Um, they both have, they're both totally different kids. So they're handling things differently, but I think that they're ready for what comes next as we all are like just yeah. waiting to see what happens next yeah, but, and get into a new normal. Yes. A yeah. new routine, a new yeah. schedule, how things are going to work, how things are going to look, how they're going to feel. Um, I don't know. My parents are still married, so I have no idea what this is like for them. I can't yeah. relate in that way. So I, I'm constantly like, I wish I could make you feel a different way or make you see things a different way. But, you know, um, it, it's it's such a, an odd place to be right now. It's yeah. just so weird. And I, I, I'm hoping that in a year, you know, we'll be, it'll look a lot different. It'll feel a lot different. Yeah. Because it's not that... Once the dust settles. Yeah. Once the dust settles... And you guys, you know, like you said, get into a new routine. I think, yeah, you know, this is the hard part going over this, the bumpy part. It's, it's totally bumpy. It, it never ends. I feel like every time something comes up, I mean, we were just talking about this off the air, but like, I feel like every time something comes up, it's like a new heartache. Yeah. My, my heart is breaking a little mm. bit every single day. I know, I know it's crazy, but I also feel like it's a good thing to talk about yes. because other no, people have been to. through it. Of course. And also in a year from now, when you're hearing another podcast <gasps> and I don't sound like this, oh, <laughs> maybe it'll be better. It will be. It's, it will be better. definitely going to be better. Yeah. Yes. So I just, we just, it's the, the weirdest thing for me about divorce is, cause your parents are still together and you're yes. obviously very happily married is that, uh, in a lot of people's eyes, the second those divorce news hits, it's like there's, there's, let's say, a, let's say two, 10 people in the world, in this world who now view me very differently Ugh. and who cares about them. They knew me for all of these years right. as a good person. Yeah. And now all of a sudden I'm different and I'm kind of like having to adjust, including my husband. Yeah. Right. Like he is now viewing me in a different way than he ever has, or our conversations are a little bit more guarded or we have to talk through lawyers, which yeah. living in the same house with somebody, like you're making coffee next to someone and the conversations you're having can't have because you have to do it through lawyers. Wow. It's incredibly fucking weird. That is very weird. It's very weird. And it's like, there's, um, especially you've been together so long. Like, yeah, that, there's that a would, trust factor that's yeah. not there anymore. And so it's probably a best thing that those conversations happen through lawyers because yeah. it can't happen. No. There's no way. Well, there's good, too much emotion and other yeah. things and attached. We can't, we can't like fight in front of the kids or no. do it. Like have those conversations with, the, with them in the house. So it's just a very, very weird time. Mm. And like I said, the last time I talked about this is that like everything else has to stay, remain the same. Like there's, I don't get to take a break from work. No, I don't get to stop going to hockey or, you know, participating in like homework or all of the doing this. Yeah. Right. Like everything is still happening. Yeah. (laughs) This would have been a good day for me to stay. I, it took me a lot to get out of bed to go to hockey this morning. I mean, I, I fell asleep crying last night. I woke up at three o'clock in the morning crying. I woke up at five o'clock in the morning crying. It was just a rough, it's been a rough cut, like 24 hours. Yeah. But, um, doing keeping these those routines the same and yes. doing this with you and showing up is going to like okay there's a few hours gone yes. where I'm, my mind is on something else and yes. I'm thinking about something else and oh my god it's just it's uh it's draining I feel fuck I feel like I'm on empty all the time yeah you know what I mean I I can't imagine it, it's got to be just the emotional drain of it all yeah and people don't realize that emotional drain yeah. can just utterly zap you and there's been lots of times where at least in the last few weeks where I'm like am I doing the right thing should I stop this should I not you know what I mean like there's moments where I just question and then I'm reminded yes and I go yeah. oh yeah no 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 no, 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 no. no. now I know <laughs> I remember why this no. is going on this no. is crazy you are doing the right thing yeah so it's almost I don't know. yeah we, I feel it, like it, that that the we see the light at the end of the tunnel yeah just gotta keep gotta yeah, keep moving forward it. yeah so that's my emotional breakdown of the oh. week. I know. How has your week been? My week was good. I mean, I didn't really have an emotional breakdown this week. Good. Good for I you. I did, though, <laughs> and I mentioned this to you already, and it's still sticking with me, um, but having young people refer to the time. Yes, this is great. The time when I was growing up as the late 1900s. <laughs> <laughs> and then one of your kids said what to you? Oh, that I was a boomer. Yeah. What? <laughs> How dare they? 
Pacino was so they fucking offended by this. They don't even know what a boomer. I was so no, offended. That's hilarious to me. So offended. But the late 1900s, like, where the hell? Like, no, I no. That's idea. not. That's no. not when I didn't grow up then. <sighs> but well, apparently, but we're I twenty. Did. We're twenty-one years into two thousand. <laughs> so maybe that then, is how people refer to things. Isn't it weird though? Like, it's totally the late weird. 1900s. Oh my god. <laughs> Meanwhile, me. How much fun were the late 1900s? Oh please, can I go back? Can yeah. I go back to that time? Oh my god, it was the greatest time ever. The greatest time. There was no worries. No. And there were worries, but it was just, I you know, all the things of being a grown up. Oh, you know, man, please. It's the fucking pits. Ugh. Being a grown up is the fucking it worst. Is. It's like, the worst. Please, guys, if we have any younger listeners, <laughs> enjoy your time. Yeah. Enjoy it. Yeah. Don't, um, don't, don't, uh, <laughs> don't squander it. Yes. Don't squander it. Like no. just please enjoy every bit of it. Yeah. Don't and do, don't do anything too serious. Don't get locked into anything until you're, you know. <laughs> Don't, well, don't get locked yes. into anything. How don't about get that? locked into anything. Go, wait till your thirties to get locked into anything. I love, you know how much I love judge Judy, right? Yes. You know, I love her. And she, um, she, when people come into the court and they just have children and they're not married, she's always like, I just curious, like why? And I'm thinking to myself, it is maybe 10 years ago when I watched it, I was like, yeah, why aren't people getting married yeah. anymore? I fucking totally get it yes. now. Like, don't do it. Yeah, don't, don't do, do it. it. Don't do it. The, the fucking extent of which the government is involved in your marriage. Once you get that courthouse license, it's like, fuck you. I I will never, ever, ever yes, again. Yes, it's just a legal. Again. All it is is a legal document, yeah, and I don't it's, ever there's so that. much wrapped in it. I mean, I, I, I long for love. I have hope for it. I know that oh. I will get it. I know that it will. You come just don't to need me. the paper, girl. I don't need that paper. No, the D. You know what no. I'm saying? <laughs> um, P.S. Speaking of the D, as in Deutsch. Woo! Wow. Hi! You like that segue? I do. <laughs> That's coming out Ooh. this week. She's going to hell. Yes. No. Ted Deutsch. It's coming out in two days. Aren't you oh so fucking excited? God. So fucking excited. It's amazing. So I have listened to that a lot. I've Ugh. listened back to it a lot. And we're going to put that video out, which I got to figure out how to put like our logo in the front and like, and, yeah. you know, add the music in or whatever, but, uh, which I will do this week because we are putting that on our yes. YouTube channel. If it's the only video we ever put on the whatever. YouTube channel, we'll be, we'll be adding videos. We will. We yes. just got to figure things out. Yes. <laughs> and oh my God, it's such a great fucking video. Yes. I loved it. And I, I just, I'm so happy he was on the podcast. I was thinking about that last night about how this is like, Almost two years yes. of me kvetching about, is that right? Kvetching yeah. or is that right? Like I don't, I don't know. I don't know. About Ted, Ted Deutsch and going on and on. No, yes. kvetching is not right. That's complaining. Um, about Ted Deutsch being on the podcast and wanting him to be here. I cannot believe well, I this was, motherfucker was on the show. I was thinking about our little mucks and I said, my God, because we're doing one today. And we're almost at, we're almost hitting 40 with these little mucks. Yeah. And it has turned out to be... One of my favorite parts of Me this too. podcast. Me too. Me too. Like, I love it so much. And I'd, we've talked to, I was looking through all the names of the yes. people that we've, we've, we've interviewed. List. And it's an incredible list. And like, how lucky, like, that we get to do this. Yeah. It's really amazing. It's amazing. Amazing. I know. So, yeah, I'm excited about it. So check it out on yes. Friday. We will be posting everywhere. I have clips from it that I want to post. So leading up to oh it. Oh, my God. I cannot wait. We're definitely going to post these two clips that I pulled. Ooh. And I was like, oh, my God. So, <laughs> yeah, you'll have to listen to that. Yeah, it gives me life. It, this it is, podcast, doing this so podcast good. with you has been oh, a fucking blessing. Same, same, same. Like, I love it. And yeah. I... I can't imagine my life like without no. the podcast world. I, like I love our pod. Yeah. I love our podcast family. Oh my god, this odd pods motherfuckers! Odd pods. Oh <laughs> my god, they're I, amazing. They're so funny. Oh and my I god, love love, and love uplift, love. uplift, uplift. Oh my god, I mean constantly, girl. How now? P.S. Let's think about how we met Odd Pods. Remember, we did the interview with Keeping Up with Kardashians, yes. and they're like talking about the Odd Pods, and, and we're like, and you're like, tell me about Odd Pods, <laughs> and then they tell you, and I was like, well, I don't know what it's like to be in a, a network, yes. you know, a, me, a media affiliate network or whatever. You're like, yeah, me neither. Like, what's up, Odd Pods? Here we are with Odd Ooh, Pods. Hi, so fucking blessed. So, and they're so fun. They're so much fun. And their yeah. podcasts are really good. They're so good. <laughs> I know. So, I love them. So, so good. I love them. Oh my gosh. So yeah, this is, this is an exciting time. I'm, I'm, yeah. 
I mean, I feel like it can only get better from here, Tina. Yes. And we have those merch ideas, which we're working on. Oh my God, I have the list. I'm, gonna show, <laughs> I'm showing you the list when we All stop right, recording. Good. So are you ready? I am. All right, you're first. Okay, so today I'm going to tell you the story of former U.S. Army Colonel mm. James C. Hyatt. Okay. Colonel James Hyatt served in the U.S. Army for 24 years and ran the anti-drug operations in Colombia. Mm. But... When his wife enlist, enlisted men to smuggle heroin, <gasps> the colonel jacks up his career. Holy shit! What? Girl. <laughs> the wife? Oh, the wife. Like, Damn I was it. reading this and I was like, what in the world? I mean, I'm going to say, go back about what five in minutes the world. where I gave you advice don't get married. Yes. What are you doing? Yes. Don't and do here this. you are. Here, here you are, are Colonel Hyatt. Wife, struggling, <laughs> smuggling uh, drugs. Smuggling heroin out of Colombia. So our story takes place in South Carolina, New York, specifically Manhattan and Queens, but also Columbia, the country. I didn't find much information about Colonel Hyatt's early career, um, but basically in 1998, he earned a position in Columbia where, according to Alan Fuhrer of the New York Times, he was in charge of 200 U.S. troops who trained Colombian security forces in counter-narcotics operations. Wow. So like this is his job. Yeah. Okay, I like, love this time, by the way. This is great. I mean, if you watch that show, Narco or Nar oh, Narcos, 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 <gasps> when they go, when that whole yes. thing, oh my so God, good. so good. And you know, who's on that show? That guy that I love. What's his With name? With the mustache? Yes. He's so cute. He's got that like Magnum P.I. vibe. Oh, <laughs> oh my God, honey, honey. So fucking hot. He's the Mandalorian. Oh, yes, 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 Fuck yes. me. My kids love that show. Oh, it's a great they show. They still watch it. It's a great show. It's good. Every episode of that show is good. It's good. It's, it's good. It's so fucking good. I was watching it with them the other day, and I was like, I don't remember any of this. Because, you know, you watch it once, uh, the last and then episode, you go back, yeah. and you're like... The last episode of season <gasps> oh, two. Oh, honey. Don't, no spoilers, no but... No spoilers, but... I cried like a bitch. It was like just baby. such... It was so oh, fun. so fucking good. Oh, my goodness. Star okay. Wars forever. Yes. All right, so what gets the colonel in trouble centers on his wife, like we said, and her drug habits. So I'm going to give you some background Ooh, on okay. her. So according to a Newsweek article, uh, his wife, Lori, struggled with drugs for a good portion of her life. She met the colonel in the late 80s when he was stationed in Panama. They get married. They end up moving to Fayetteville. Okay. And there she is in Fayetteville, and it's like boring. Like there's nothing to do, right? Right, right? And she doesn't fit in with the people. Mm. She's just not really vibe. It's super conservative, and she's oh, just not God. really vibing with Get the me whole out. thing. And you know, a lot of military wives, or I don't want to just say wives, but uh, military spouses. You know, you hear this talk about like you know their 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 partners are stationed mm -hmm. and they're busy doing their thing, and then you're kind of like stuck on the base or stuck right. in like the the area where everyone has their houses and yeah that's those are people that you're hanging out with and she just wasn't really fitting in mm. and so according to the article she would go out and party and the partying included all-nighters where she would get drunk but she would also do speed and do coke Jesus. and she met like like some local people one was a um exotic dancer one was you know it was just like people that she was meeting like out on the scene mm. so like her husband who's this like super distinguished guy Holy is shit. doing his thing and like on the side she's just like partying with like this whole other crew of I people down low love this it's it's kind of cool yeah. so the article noted that she partied so much yeah and her behavior was so out of control that at one point her husband didn't have her hosted dinners anymore. So it was sort of expected as the military wife that if right. she was in town and they were having dinner, like that she has to play hostess and do this. And she just was so erratic that he like, he couldn't have that done at his home anymore Holy shit. because of how she was acting. Damn. And the Newsweek article also noted something that was interesting. There's two conflicting stories. So one friend of Lori's says that her husband was completely clueless about mm. her drug use and another friend said, no, 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 no. He knew what she was up to and just like couldn't really control it. So we don't really know. Like, did he know about her actions? Did he not know? You he know, he's gone knew. all the time. He probably knew. He had Especially to know because something. even if he's gone, she's out of control and then he comes home. It's not like she can like zip it up. You yeah. know what I mean? It's that. Yeah. No Cause way. one of the, one of the women um, who said that he did know said that they would party yeah. And they were, you know, doing coke, like, Come in the on. living room while he was, like, sleeping upstairs. So here's the thing. She oh. does go to rehab. Okay. And the Army knew about it. Mm. 
So the biggest, I guess, question that happens is when this position for him to oversee the anti-narcotics, you know, division in Colombia, which is, you know, huge, huge drug capital. In the 80s? Yeah. Right? This is, um, yeah, late 80s, yeah. right? Um, in late 90s. Yeah. Um, in the 19, in, late 1900s. Yeah. In the late 1900s. <laughs> oh, my God. So... Why would they, if the army is aware that his, dr- his wife has this drug problem, why would they send them mm. to this place where yeah. there's drugs everywhere, you know, like, and, but this was a position he really wanted and it was a coveted position and like, it would really look and if she goes to rehab, career, maybe they think he's, she's okay. That she's fine. Right. Yeah. So, and I get like, he shouldn't be punished for his, her addictions and right. things like that. Right. But, you know, I don't know. I don't think it was the best fit. Mm. So basically they arrive in Colombia and Salon reported that shortly after they're in Bogota and, you know, they have drivers. She gets the chauffeur to start getting her Coke. Like basically she's like, I need drugs. You're going to help me out. And now the driver's like helping her out. So (laughs) let's get into the big thing. So the Colonel's wife, like we said, uh, likes to play while the colonel's away. Mm. But this time she wasn't just dabbling in drugs to party. This time she decides to smuggle heroin. Holy out shit. Out of the U.S. Embassy. Oh, my okay. God. So not yes, like, not some bitch. random, but she's like in the U.S. She's Embassy. She's fucking hardcore. In the U.S. Embassy and she's sending parcels of heroin to the United States, specifically to Manhattan and Queens. And she's mailing it through the U.S. Embassy post. Holy right? shit! So this the is best incredible. <laughs> the best. This is, and she does this through 1999 uh, when she gets busted. And the best part is that she put her name on those packages. Oh my god, <laughs> she's high as fuck. I know she's high. Her names oh are on the packages, god. and of course, like this is like a huge embarrassment for the U.S. Hello. because like <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot of heroin. Oh my god. So. The whole thing then becomes like, does Hyatt, did he know that she was smuggling? Mm. You know, it's one thing to know like your wife is dabbling in drugs. It's another thing to know whether or not she's smuggling heroin out of the U.S. Embassy to the United States. Come on, no way. There's no way. According to Fuhr, the U.S. Army's investigation cleared Hyatt, stating that he wasn't involved in the scheme at all. Still, Hyatt admitted in federal court that he was aware that his wife was making money from her smuggling scheme oh. and that he, in fact, paid bills with the money earned from the heroin. What the fuck? Yes. So Come on, now how, that's... How much heroin... How can you be cleared for this then? Well, we're going to get into okay. like this. Right. It's a little bit shady. How much like, heroin? It was 13 pounds, which was worth about $700,000 at the time. Oh, Oh my God. That's a lot of heroin. This wasn't like, oh, let me just smuggle some shit home so I have it back home. Seven hundred. This is like we're se- we're selling we're selling heroin basically, right? Like oh she's a my drug dealer. God. So yeah, this ain't some jolly popper looking to get high, right? This is like we are having a smuggling operation. This is insane. It's insane. So the story gets a little interesting because Hyatt's chauffeur, that guy, his name was Jorge. Ayala, he makes some interesting allegations. So according to a cannabis news article, which cites Reuters as their source, Ayala claimed that a U.S. DEA agent helped smuggle the drugs and that U.S. Marines also let the smuggling take place. So he's like, people knew what was going on, like members of like the U.S. Army. It wasn't just her. This is fucked up. Knew what was going on. I mean, they must have been getting money then, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they had to. Yeah. Why, why, else, why else are you doing it? Yeah. So allegedly, according to the Daily Press, Hyatt, the colonel, took $13,000 and turned that money into money orders. So he's cleaning that cash, right? This is where he's laundering the Come money. On. And he was stashing even more. And the Washington Post reported that the total was actually close to 45000 And they also reported that when the feds were closing in on his wife and about to search Lori's apartment, that's when the colonel took the cash and hid it in a U.S. embassy safe. So he, like, realizes, like, shit's going down, and oh he's trying God. to hide Come on. the money. This is And wash up. the laundry. He knew everything. He had to. Get out of here. Still, Lori Hyatt claimed, quote, in court, 
I never told him what I was doing. Well, oh, really? So where's thousands and thousands of dollars going? You, you literally get, don't have a fucking job. I know. What are you doing? And all this money showing Come on, up. man. But a customs commissioner at the time, Raymond Kelly, said, quote, custom agents have suspected for some time that U.S. Army Colonel James Hyatt had knowledge of his wife's actions and may have even had some complicity. So there are some people that are like, he had to have known. Of course. So I couldn't find the exact charges. I just found what he pled to. And this was reported by several sources, including CBS News. He was charged with laundering $25,000, which were the proceeds from the drug smuggled. And again, like, I I just can't believe she just sent them through the U.S. mail. It's just crazy to me. Um, And he basically claimed that he found out what she was up to and in order to protect her. So his thing is like, oh, I realized what she was doing. I realized like the feds are closing in. I want to help her. So he starts laundering the money so that she doesn't get caught. And he wants to like, but also helping her, her helps him. Right. Like it's not just about, I guess it's rep- yeah, his reputation. You know? Yeah. And it's all like, of that. how can I fix this? So I don't get fucked. Yeah. So he, like I said, he starts spending the money on the bills and hiding it and all of that. Jesus. So according to the Tampa Bay times, Hyatt was sentenced to five months in prison Five months house arrest and one year probation. Excuse me. Yeah. And we're going to get into like how that's like such a ridiculously small amount of time for what they were up to. Oh my God. Judge White. Is that, is that this happening? Are they white? Well, yeah. And they're also military. Right. So Judge Corman had this to say after the sentencing quote, when someone in a position of trust engages in conduct like this, it undermines confidence in the military. It undermines confidence in the country's drug program. And that's what abuse of trust is about. After his sentencing, Fear reported that after being chided by Judge Corman, Hyatt said, quote, the only thing that I did that I consciously did was try to protect my wife after the fact. And as far as the wife, she was sentenced to five years. And along with Lori, two other men, Hernan, Arcila, and the chauffeur, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Jorge uh, Alfonso, they face charges as well. Mm. So the aftermath. Toward the end of the trial, Hyatt put in for his retirement. But a few months later, the Orlando Sentinel reported that Hyatt was dishonorably discharged, Whoa. which means no retirement yeah, pay for that's, him. Yeah, that's bad. And then here's this guy like who he dedicated a whole portion of his life, his 24 Jesus years of his Christ. life to service and loses everything because... He would have received like $50,000 yeah. a year pension, Whoa. partially subsidized medical benefits and other discounts. All of that gone. Like, wow. Bye. The other aftermath is that Colombians were really pissed off. They saw this for the hypocrisy that it was. The mm. Miami Herald reported at the time that many saw this as a double standard. Yep. One rule for Americans, another for Colombians, yeah. right? Like, not to mention that this guy is <laughs> training their people. Yeah. In anti-narcotics and, you know, dealing with smuggling and now your wife is smuggling drugs. Like, come on. And then you don't get in any trouble for it. Of course. It goes to the distrust that they have for the Americans that are there. The Herald also reported that Rosso Jose Serrano, national police chief at the time and a stalwart drug fighter was upset too. And an anonymous congressional staffer said it was embarrassing to speak to Colombian officials about the case. You know, because now you're putting everyone else in a bad position because you're still having to do diplomatic foreign affairs and all of that. And now there's this stain and you can't talk about it or you have to be like, Oh yeah, sucks that he only got five months. Like, what are you supposed to say? You know, so bad. So some points of interest, one thing I found interesting, and this was as a little side story. Um, and it involved the death of an army captain named Jennifer Schaefer Odom. Hmm. The New York times reported that at Hyatt's trial, Odom's mother blamed Hyatt for her daughter's death in a plane crash. (gasps) So she alleged that despite the army ruling the crash an accident, she believes that the colonel provided Colombian drug traffickers secret intel about military surveillance flights. And she thinks that the crash was not really a crash, that it was involved. Oh my God. Because of this and thinks that there was some sort of cover up. The army of course says no way, but the judge in the trial let this mother speak. Wow. And like make this accusation. And he, the judge was like, she's like, I want you to do an investigation. He's like, I'm a federal judge. Like I don't have, I can't do that. But that's what she claimed. Wow. So I, I was like, that's, that's what lengths would this guy go? You know, uh, Salam points to another alleged cover up of sorts. Allegedly the army tipped off the Colonel to the investigation which is what led him to launder the money. So they're saying that like the DEA and other people oh said, Hey, PS, like we're about to roll in yeah. on your wife. 
And then he's starting to like cover it up, which is shady. And I mean, the whole situation is just ironic, right? You have hundreds of military personnel providing anti-narcotics training. And meanwhile, the very people providing the training are smuggling drugs. It's just Mm. crazy. Another thing that I found funny is that the wife, Lori, tried to throw the chauffeur under the bus. Oh, please. She has the chauffeur and she basically says... You know, he was helping her get drugs. and that, But she claimed that she was just mailing packages for him. Oh, my And had no gosh. idea what was in them. Wow, she's got some and fucking And so nerve. he did like, a, I mean, he came out and said all of this stuff. And he was like, and he was sitting in a Colombian prison. Yeah. With like high-end drug dealers. And he's wow. like, I'm basically screwed um, because she's trying to blame and pin all of this on me. Wow. So... This is the one thing that I found really interesting is that disparity between Hyatt sentencing and civilians who would face similar Mm. drug charges. So admitting to knowing your wife was smuggling pounds of heroin, especially given his position, and spending the embezzled cash to only receive five months in prison is Mm. ridiculous. I mean, there are people in prison on that three strikes and your out rule, which yeah. was happening at that time for having like a quarter ounce of weed on them. Yeah. You know, and then this guy gets five months. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's shameful. Yeah. And Sterling of the Baltimore Sun drew parallels to highlight how easy Hyatt got off as a co-conspirator in the scheme. He pointed to the case of an ecstasy dealer's estranged wife who landed 24 years in jail because of her husband's drug dealings. And another who helped her crack dealer boyfriend, but then she turned witness, she cooperated, but then the boyfriend died. Mm. So now the cops don't have anyone to go over and they don't need her testimony. So they turn on her and she ends up 24 years in jail, has the baby in jail and will not see her baby till. Oh my God. Yeah. At the time. Right. But this guy gets five months. Yeah. This it's, right. it's, it's not right. It's not right. So the article explained that by admitting guilt to misprison of felony, a judge can't give more than three years. Now, the thing that is interesting is the prosecutor. That's the charge that they put forward. The prosecutors, Mm. knowing that he would only get these few months. So they're like, okay, we're, you know, you're going to get in trouble, but so they're in on it too. Yes. Which is crazy to me. That's the story. That's the story of U.S. Army Colonel James C. Hyatt. That's, that's. Can you imagine this? No, this is insane. And I can't believe we haven't heard about more people doing this. Well, I watched, so there was a 60 Minutes episode Mm -hmm. at the time and He's just like, I love my wife. And, oh God. and it's like that Maury Schaefer. He's like, oh, and you still love her now? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, what is wrong Tina, with you? Well, here's what's wrong. What is wrong with you, dude? Never underestimate the power of the vagina. <laughs> okay. Yes. That's what this is. Yes. Okay. I'm Rob. I'm Nick. And I'm Joe. I love it. I think it's kind of meh. And I've never seen it. We're keeping up with the Cardassians. A podcast covering seven seasons of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. But that's not it. We go down the wormhole of pop culture, life, and Garrick. New episodes every Monday. On your favorite podcasting platforms. You can also interact with the show on Twitter at Cardassians Pod. And just like the Ferengi, we can't wait to stroke your lobes. All right. Are you ready? I am. Again, just like last week, our stories are like... (gasps) So weirdly similar. It's like in, back like, in the beginning. It was. Remember, oh, we would always have stories that were kind yes. of the same. So my story is the SS Columbia Eagle incident. Oh. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. The SS Columbia Eagle incident was a mutiny that occurred aboard the U.S. flagged merchant ship vessel, the Columbia Eagle, in March 1970. This is the only mutiny of a United States ship in recent history. Wow. Girl. Mutiny on the bounty. That's all I know about mutiny. I don't even know what that is, but yes. It's an old movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I'm going to agree with you. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So a little bit about the ship. And I know this is kind of like, but I liked, I liked hearing about what would happen with these ships after they were, I mean, you know, they're huge. So, Okay. So the Columbia Eagle was a victory-type cargo ship constructed by Oregon Shipbuilding Corporation of Portland, Oregon in 1945 for the U.S. Navy and originally christened the SS Pierre Victory. Oh. She was designed to carry all types of dry supplies and munitions to the Pacific uh, in World War II. Um, SS Pierre Victory survived three separate kamikaze attacks by the Japanese wow. in 1945. After World War II, the Pierre Victory was converted to a livestock ship, also uh, called a seagoing cowboy's ship. That's so wild to I me. I love that. Well, the fact I don't know why I love this well, so much. I've never really thought that 
about livestock being yeah. shipped across water. Like I know. I know I, that's something I we like we really don't think about where our food what, what are we doing <laughs> yeah. in this country I, yeah. How could, oh let's, let's never do a whole podcast about what we're doing in this yes, country let's what do are a whole we doing? thing about that Pierre Victory made six trips with 780 horses on each trip to war-torn Poland and Greece. It also served as a merchant marine ship supplying goods for the Korean War. Like most of the ships of the Victoria type, Pierre Victory was decommissioned after the war and then sold to a commercial shipping company. Oh, and then they just use it for cargo or whatever. Yes. So in 1968, she was purchased by the Columbia Steamship Company, renamed Columbia Eagle, and contracted out to the Military Sea Transportation Service for the purpose of hauling supplies and ammunition to South Southeast Asian ports in South Vietnam and Thailand during the Vietnam War. Wow. Yes. So because Columbia Eagle was a U.S. flagged ship, she was part of the Merchant Marine Fleet and therefore eligible under government contracting rules to haul military supplies to the war zones. Oh. So let's get into it. So now it's back. So the mutiny. On March 14th, 1970, Clyde William McKay Jr. and Alvin Leonard Glatkowski used guns they had smuggled aboard (gasps) to seize control of the ship, the SS Columbia Eagle, in the first armed mutiny aboard an American ship in 150 years, girl. Yeah, I know. So a little bit about these two guys. So Clyde William McKay Jr. was born on March 20th, 1944 in California. His father was in the military at the time and often had duty away from the family. And as a teenager, he suffered from a misdiagnosed bowel obstruction and was seriously ill for a year because of this. He lost a year in school and never finished high school and decided to join the merchant Marines. McKay received his merchant Marine documents on October 23rd, 1963 and joined the seafarers international union shortly thereafter. Alvin Leonard Glatkowski was born on September 11th, 1949 um, in Augusta, Georgia. His father was also in the military at the time of his birth, but shortly after Glatkowski was born, his father abandoned the family. His mother remarried a Navy third-class machinist mate named uh, Ralph Hagen um, when Glatkowski was three. And this guy was just a piece of shit. He was abusive to him and to the mother and just a real fucking piece of shit. So this guy, Glatkowski leaves and goes to New York in like his late teens. And he enrolls in the seafarers, uh, school of seamanship operated by the seafarers international union. And, um, he was taught the skills needed to work on the deck and the engine and do the steward jobs on, on the, on the merchant marine ships. And on April 17th, 1967, Glatkowski received his merchant marine uh, papers stating he was eligible for entry-level jobs on the U.S. flagships. So, okay, so they're both merchant marines. And they're both on this U.S. Columbia They both Eagle. have military background, yes. family background. And at some point, I really don't know, but at some point, these two guys, I don't know if they met before they got on the ship or they met while they were, I don't know, but they smuggled guns onto the ship. So it makes me think that at some point they had a conversation. Uh, yeah, cause and they were like, they doing- we don't like Vietnam. We don't want yeah. this to happen. What the fuck are we going to do? We shouldn't be there, right? And so they've decided wow. that they're going to do something about it, right? Wow. <laughs> so they get on the ship. And the ship had been sailing on a Department of Defense supply charter carrying napalm. Oh my God. To the U.S. Air Force bases in Thailand for use in Vietnam. Holy crap. Yeah. So this is super dangerous that they're oh, going to mess with this boat. Uh, totally. Totally. So they uh, claim that there was a, li- they also claimed these mutineer- mutineers, these two guys claimed that there was a live bomb on board the ship and forced <gasps> the captain to order 25 of the crewmen to abandon ship in the lifeboats. <gasps> the ship's cargo, which was 3,500 uh, 500 pound bombs and 1,225, 750 pound <gasps> bombs gave this threat credibility, right? So they're like, we're going to well, start blowing, yeah, they punching, can't, or shooting yeah. up these bombs if you don't get oh these guys out of here. My God. When the crewmen departed in lifeboats, an SOS was transmitted, right? Oh, so thank they, God. Because so, I was going to say, if they're just floating around in the yes. water, like how does anyone even know where they now are? It's, everybody's been made aware. Oh, so my a God. Lockheed P-3B from VP-1 Crew-6, the scalf hunt, called the Scalf Hunters, operating from Utapau Royal Thai Navy Airfield, Thailand, was directed to launch a search and rescue mission to find the SS Columbia Eagle and assist as needed. Upon arrival at the ship, they found a small crew and the presence of small arms and immediately reported their assessment of that ship, uh, that the ship had been hijacked and was heading for Cambodia. Whoa. Crew six maintained communications and status reporting until the ship anchored in Cambodia, <gasps> Cambodian waters. Cause of this, so at that point U S can't go in there because now, well, now it's you're in, in Cambodia. Yeah. They can't do anything. Right. And so, they still have other crew members on cause they only let, there's yes. only so many that are going to fit in those. Right. Lifeboats right. They, they got yeah. rid of most of the people on the ship. They got put them in lifeboats. Right. So afterwards they were relieved and uh, they were relieved and other P three Orion 
um, or I'm sorry, Orion air crews kept the Columbia Eagle under, under constant surveillance from uh, outside Com- Cambodian territorial waters. The merchant ship Rapahonoak picked up the lifeboats and crew members and broadcast the news of the mutiny. The United States Coast Guard cutter Mellon was the first U.S. military vessel to pursue the Columbia Eagle. The amphibious transport dock USS Denver was diverted to relieve Mellon in its pursuit. So they're like taking turns on yeah. who's going to keep watching this, this thing. So the destroyer they still can't go into the water. No, they can't. They're just watching what's yeah. happening. So the destroyer ship USS Turner Joy was detached from station at one core to pursue the Columbia Eagle at flank speed and to intervene. So now you've got this huge wow. ship coming in to get these guys off this boat. Um, however, the Columbia Eagle reached Cambodian waters before the U.S. naval ships could intercept. And within only, with only 13 crew members remaining aboard besides the mutineers, they sailed into Cambodian waters where they assumed they would be welcomed as heroes. Yeah, no, Cambodia's like, we don't need your drama here. Yeah, they, and P- yes, Cambodia P- was already having drama there. Yeah. Like, they already had people taking over their government yeah. there, so it was no. not a good time to go no. to Cambodia. My God, um, what they, are they thinking? <laughs> they anchored within the 12 miles of territorial limit claimed by Cambodia on the afternoon of March 15th. On At 9.51 on March 16th, the USS Denver anchored 15.6 miles from the coast in the Gulf of Siam, remaining outside Cambodian waters. The ship, the Mellon ship, joined shortly thereafter with Commander um, Amphibious Squadron 7 as the senior officer present. Two CH-53 Sea Stallion helicopters landed on Denver from sea bases in South Vietnam to assist in visual surveillance. So I just can't imagine the scene with these two, like they're basically yeah, they're kids, kids. They're kids. Who did this. And, like, and this is like, oh my God. And these 13 people on the boat with them are probably like, get me the hell out of here. I would jump off and start swimming. Meanwhile, the uh, the mutineers had turned the ship over to Cambodia's Cambodia's Prince Nordam Shiafik's government. With the napalm on it? Yes. Oh my god. They declared themselves anti war revolutionaries and they had and then had been granted asylum. Wow. On March seventeenth, the helicopters were detached and Denver with Commander Amphibious Squadron seven departed for Singapore, p- passing on scene command to Mellon. Uh, Turner Joy, the USS Turner Joy, remained on station in a cruising pattern within shipping lanes and in sight of the Harbor Channel. On March 18th, the USS Denver reversed her course. Prince Shiok had been deposed by a coup led by the pro-U.S. Sirak Matak and no. Lon Noyle. So this so prince they get, gets unseated. They get, oh, my gosh. The prince that gave him asylum. Yes. Oh, my God. And so this other thing, there's a coup in the government in Cambodia. And so this prince gets thrown the fuck out. And, and now, now there's these, these other two guys, guys that are pro-U.S. Wow. So now these guys are like, uh-oh. Oh, yeah. Right? And they get, like, what? thrown in jail, right? Oh, so, my God. Um, if Where's the damn napalm? That's what I would be thinking. <laughs> I know. They're going to blow there's some shit to blow, up. Yeah, there's enough to blow Cambodia, like, yeah. to smithereens. If the Cambodian, Cambodians could be persuaded to release Columbia Eagle, Denver's flight deck could help the rescued crew members rejoin their ship. The coup was unfortunate for mutineers McKay and Gladkowski <laughs> as they had hoped to find asylum in a pro-communist country. Instead, oh, please. <laughs> instead, they became, prisoners. they became prisoners of the new Cambodian government. Oh, my God. <laughs> bad timing. Talk but, about bad timing. I mean, <laughs> and you don't want to be, I mean, I, you don't want to be a prisoner in Cambodia. Oh, please. In 1970? Girl. No. I don't want to be a prisoner anywhere. No. I'm trying to think of where would be a good prison. Well, in Italy, I know that they, like, you know, you get the pasta and all of that. Like they'll, <laughs> And they the guards the have got to be hot. Yeah. Good Lord. <laughs> Tina and I are just staring at yeah, each other thinking I about mean, Italian prison guards. Ooh, Hello. I don't speak Italian. Come over here and whisper in my ear. Tell me what you're saying. Should <gasps> I? Oh, bend over? Okay. Um, okay so, um, uh, so... The prince was now in exile, and he ch- and he was charged that he charged that the CIA had masterminded the mutiny to deliver weapons to this uh, to the people. Oh, who took over the coup. so he's like so conspiracy he's theory guy. Yes. yes. Meanwhile, it's these two yahoos and, who are just like, I don't want to go. Yes. To war. And the mutineers and the U.S. officials denied these charges. Are like, no, we didn't do anything. Like yeah. that. There's nothing like. There's no c- mass conspiracy here to get you out. And when it became clear that the Columbia Eagles' release was not imminent, Denver was detached to proceed to Da Nang. So they left the waters on April eighth. Columbia Eagle was permitted to leave Cambodian waters. So finally, now the ship leaves and now we've got these two dopes sitting over here and And they're still in prison. Yes. Oh my God. So So is the U S just like, whatever, keep them there. Like they suck kind. Well, no, no, no. So that boat, then the the Columbia Eagle rendezvous with another Navy ship and an explosive ordnance disposal team inspects the ship 
and make sure that all everything's the, still okay. There, yeah, yeah, nothing's in danger. No one's in danger. Wow. And with the co- the crew and the ship re- reunited, they escorted it back to the U.S. Naval Base uh, Subic Bay, arriving on April 12th. So what happens to these yeah, guys? Oh right? God. So McKay and Glatkowski were held by the post-coup Cambodian government for several months after their capture. A United Press newspaper interview from August, 19, August 1970 describes them as living under guard in a, quote, rusting World War II landing ship moored in the Mekong, uh, Mekong River, end quote. Re- uh, uh, also, quote, regularly using marijuana supplied by their guards and making statements well, supporting the Manson family and a violent overthrow of the oh United States government. Oh, my God. So quote. they're just getting high. <laughs> And they're talking about because they're probably like, what Manson. the fuck? How do we get? They're paranoid. Yeah, they're smoking a bunch of weed, and they're just talking about Charles Manson. This is and overthrowing the government. Oh my god! I mean, but why are they giving them weed? At least they got gave them weed. Yeah, probably to dull the pain, honey. I mean, yeah. smoking weed. I'm talking about but Manson. They're on a wa- sounds like on the heaven water? right now. They're on the water. Yeah, in a boat. They're so they're in a rusted out boat, sm- yeah. getting high. Yeah, like it's oh god. I know that sounds terrible. Uh, McKay said to a reporter, quote, we are sympathetic with the Asian people. And while I'm not an authority on the war in Vietnam, I respect the opinions of people who were, who were authorities like Bertrand Russell and Jean-Paul Sartre, Sartre, I don't know, um, uh, Sartre, Sartre, who said the war in Asia was genocide. I intend to carry Mm. on my actions against the American government, end quote. Mm. In, in June 1970, both men were indicted in absentia by a federal grand jury in Los Angeles on charges of mutiny, kidnapping, and assault. Wow. Um, so let's talk about what happens with Glatkowski, like moving forward. After months of imprisonment, Glatkowski was released, and after seeking asylum at the Chinese and Russian embassies, he turned himself in at a U.S. embassy in Phnom Phei. Um, and was extradited to the United States to face trial. He was charged with mutiny, kidnapping, and assault, and neglect of duty, was convicted, and served his sentence. Um, He admitted to mistakes in the hijacking, but remained unapologetic about their goal of interrupting the napalm shipment. United States federal judge Manuel Real heard the testimony of four psychiatrists. Three of the psychiatrists reported that Glatkowski was currently sane and was sane at the time of the mutual, Mm. I'm sorry, the mutiny incident. On March 2nd, 1971, Glatkowski pled guilty in Los Angeles District Court to mutiny and assault. Um, He was sentenced by Judge Manuel Real to 10 years, all right, 10 years in federal prison and served seven of the 10 years. Well, federal prison. And he actually, um, I'm not sure if he's, still alive now but i was also seeing articles where he's an older man he had this long white beard and he was still protesting war like he's still out there good for him you know when when the gulf war happened he was out there with signs he was still protesting war and was like a big part of like interviews about yeah what is it good for absolutely nothing um um, yeah say it again again. i'm on this guy's side me too so uh although don't take bombs probably not a good idea yeah i mean but (laughs) yeah we don't need to be at war no Please. So McKay, uh, he escaped from his captors along with the U.S. Army deserter Larry Humphrey in October 1970 and sought out the Khmerv Rouge, which was like a river. He was officially declared accounted for with a date of loss on November 4th, 1970. It was never been, has never been located by the authorities. So when they say date of loss, they mean like they consider him dead. Yeah. Right. Um, However, Richard Lynette Ooh. and Roberto, or I'm sorry, Roberto Loiterman, co-authors of the Eagle Mutiny, wrote an article entitled, quote, The Last Mutineer for the uh, February 2005 issue of Penthouse, in which they report that remains brought back from Cambodia were positively identified as Claude McKay, Clyde McKay's oh. at the Central Identification Laboratory in Hawaii, uh, the U.S. Navy's forensic lab. Subsequently, the remains were cremated and the ashes were buried in the family plot in California where McKay had spent his youth. Wow. Oh, so they did find him. I mean, they say it was positively identified. Yeah. So. Wow. And that is. Wow. The Columbia Eagle incident. I love it. (laughs) Me too. I'm kind of down for this mutiny. I mean. Yeah. But these kids, they don't. And what are they fighting for? Yeah. You know. Peace. Yeah. And the Manson family. Manson family loves a little cuckoo, but. Did he die? Did Charlie Manson die? Yeah. I feel like he did recently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my God, he hung in there for a long time, for girl. A long time. Please. I'm pretty sure he's dead. Yeah, I think so. Well, yeah. hey, there's a thing called Google, and I could click Charlie. on it. Should, should we do that? I should think I look? he's dead. Didn't he get married, and, like, didn't he used to, like, sell his art or some shit? Oh see, Charlie Manson. Let's see. Ooh, yes. November 19th, 2017. Ooh. 
Oh, he's scary as fuck. Yeah, girl, God. not them eyes. Mm-mm. You know how that, women? You know how women can have crazy eyes? This motherfucker yes. had crazy eyes. Man, crazy eyes. Oh my God! I remember reading Helter Skelter when yes. I was in high school and was just like, whoa! I my mean, first like true crime book was yes. Helter Skelter, and then I read. I think it was in Cold Blood. Oh, so good. Um. But I remember reading that and because it, it had all the diagrams inside right. of like where the bodies, the bo- bodies were and like all of these details. And I just remember being just so intrigued by like mm-hmm. how this could have happened. And, oh, my God. It's awful. You know, because he never he never lifted a finger, you know, yeah. but like that the fact that he was just this mastermind. I know. Another episode. <gasps> Yay. Yay. Yeah. So don't forget to check out. Representative yes. Ted Deutsch this Friday. Yes, Lil Muck coming out. And then we Lil have Muck. another Lil Muck coming out in a couple of weeks where we're talking to um, a, a professor of law who's going to talk to us about voting uh, ID laws and yes. all sorts of stuff and constitutional law. So oh I'm excited God, about it. that. And it. then we have another guest that I'm super excited oh about. Oh my God, so excited yeah. for her. So we have, we have some good things coming up. Yeah. Girl. Oh, and I want to say oh. hi to Nancy, who is our latest Patreon. <gasps> yes, Nancy. Oh, what a sweetheart. Oh, my goodness. Good Lord, talk about fighting the good fight. This poor girl. Oh, my God. I always. Mean, my God. Always fighting always. the good fight. And, like, like, and her kids are always with her, which yes. makes me so happy. Oh, she's the best. So, so happy to yeah. see that. Her husband was on our show. Yes. He's David, who was on the uh, UFOs, Aliens show. Yes. Fucking fantastic. It was so much fun. Oh my God, I loved it. Yeah, but I was happy when I saw that. I was like, oh. I know. So we got to send her a card, right? Yes. And a sticker. A card and a sticker. But we'll wait till we get the new. The new stuff, yes. And I might, throw in a, I might throw in a vintage one. Yeah. Vintage is fun. Yeah. So you have everybody's addresses. If I get these cards, I can like, right? Yeah. It's okay. in the Patreon. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's his show notes. These are show notes. This is a show oh, meeting yeah. happening right now in the middle of, <laughs> of the episode. Yeah. Cut, cut, right. cut. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, see you next week. Yes. All right. Bye. Bye. If you want to see any photos or take a deeper dive into our stories, please follow the episode notes on our website, themuckpodcast.fireside.fm, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support the Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level. Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you.